right. All right. If you take your Bibles and turn in them to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, our final message in the book of Galatians tonight. Galatians chapter 6. We'll focus our attention on verses 11 through 18 tonight. I hope to uh, begin preaching through Ephesians after this. Um, Probably be a few Sunday nights, I don't know, one or two at least, before we get into Ephesians. But um, just to let you know where we're going, we're going into the book of Ephesians, and hopefully after that into Philippians, and then hopefully after that into Colossians, and work our way through these church epistles over the next several years. Tonight we're going to try to tie up the ends of Galatians. And so hopefully you're there. Galatians chapter 6. I want to begin our time by reading the entirety of chapter 6. to have it in our minds as we begin to close down this letter that Paul writes. It begins this way, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Let's just begin our time with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for tonight, this opportunity to be under the hearing of your word, learn from it, to be instructed by it. Lord, may the words from my mouth be your instruction, and may we embrace what you have for us, that we might begin to apply it to our lives, to our understanding, that we might be able to discern well, make righteous judgments, 
not being judgmental in any kind of way, but always seeking after your will. So we thank you for tonight. Bless our time in Christ's name. Amen. It would have been interesting really to have been in the church in Galatia when this letter was originally read. Certainly all ears would have been attentive to what was being said because this was coming from the missionary that planted the church. This was from Apostle Paul. And of course there was a great affinity for the Apostle Paul because of who he was in relation to the church. And of course then this letter carried with it the authority of an apostle. And it addressed an issue that was probably one of the most important theological doctrines in the church, the one we have been studying all along, and that is the doctrine of justification. But justification isn't simply about how some sinful soul is able to stand in the presence of a holy God without being consumed by His wrath. Justification isn't simply the transaction by which God declares someone righteous, although that is our full understanding of it. But there are implications that go far and wide. Because the doctrine of justification also speaks to the reality of man's utter and total depravity. In other words, the reason why God must justify is because man is completely depraved. So depending on what one believes about justification, will say everything about what they believe about the doctrine of depravity. How you believe someone is justified before God will say exactly what you believe about the depth of man's sin. To say that if justification is by means of God's declaration alone, then you are also saying by way of implication that man is totally depraved in his sinful state and he is unable to contribute in any kind of way to his salvation. And yet, if justification is by means of God plus man's doing something, then that also means that man is not really depraved and thereby can contribute in some way to his salvation. So depending on how you view and how you understand justification says something about how you view and understand the doctrine of depravity. The way you see man in his sinfulness has an impact on your view of justification. But it also has an impact on your view of sanctification. Because if you can contribute to your justification, then you surely can manufacture a kind of holiness that is solely born from your own efforts. If you in some way can do righteous deeds in and of yourself to make yourself worthy that God would be obligated in some way to justify you, then certainly you can manufacture some kind of holiness that would indeed come from your own effort. And if you believe all of that, then you can boast about yourself. If you believe that God justifies you with your own efforts, then you believe that you are not fully depraved and you believe you can manufacture your own holiness 
and therefore you can boast about yourself. Well, that is exactly the kind of self-exaltation that the Apostle Paul has been preaching against throughout this entire letter. And as he comes to the close of this letter, these words are the words they hear from him. Verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It's almost as if Paul gets to the end of this letter and he raises his tone a little bit. He, his voice elevates in some way. In fact, I can imagine that whoever was reading this letter in the church might have just turned the parchment around so that the people could see that the letters were larger, that they were bigger on the page. They could see that Paul was wanting them to hear the emphasis at the end. From verse 11 all the way to the end, it's almost like one large exclamation point that Paul is putting on his letter. In fact, it would have been rather unusual for Paul to write anything in the letter himself. The normal practice was simply to dictate it, to have what they called was an amanuensis, which was really just some kind of secretary that was there, someone who would write while you spoke. You would dictate it, you would say what you wanted to say, and they were etching it out on the parchment. And yet, here is Paul putting his own hand to the quill in order to add an even more weightiness to the end of this letter. The letter already had some kind of significant weight to it. This only adds to that. This is like being in the gym and you have just lifted a certain amount of weight and somebody comes along and adds just a few more pounds to it. This final section is that. So it is more than just some kind of postscript at the end, like we see in the beginning we have these introductions where Paul is writing to these people who are in Galatia, and yet at the end there's these epilogues. It's more than just that. It's more than just a postscript, an afterthought, an end of the letter saying, hey, thanks for listening to me. No, this is Paul summarizing all that he has said into the overarching point that he wants to make. So if you... Trust human effort as a means of justification rather than justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Then you have denied the cross of Christ. That's the point he's making. If you believe in justification in any other way than in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, because of the grace of God alone, you are denying the cross of Christ. Christian living at its best is only in the cross of Christ. This is what Paul has been arguing for the entire time. Christian living, being a Christian, is only found in the cross of Christ. And here in these final verses, the Apostle Paul emphasizes this six different ways. Six different ways. And I just want to kind of uncover them for us tonight, and you can look at them in further studies on your own, but... Tonight, I just want to go through these six emphasis for us. Emphasis number one is this. To believe in justification by works is to live by the fear of man. To believe in justification by works is to believe or to live by the fear of man. Notice what he says in verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh 
try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. I think this verse alone explains in great detail to us why Paul took the time to write such a serious letter to these group of believers. There were people who had come into the church claiming to be a Christian. They were claiming to have a relationship with God, claiming to have some kind of saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They talked about the death of Jesus. They even talked about the resurrection and believed in the resurrection. But there was one thing that they wanted to add to the gospel. One thing they wanted to attach to the gospel that Paul preached. They wanted to add the religious act of circumcision. They wanted to attach that to the requirement to be saved. Circumcision was a requirement at one point when it came to the nation of Israel. In Genesis chapter 17, God had commanded the nation of Israel to have every male circumcised as a sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And so here comes these other Jews who had said that in order To be saved, you need to add to Jesus the ritual of circumcision or you would not be saved. In other words, you need to become a proselyte Jew if you really are going to be saved at all. In order to be saved, you have to become like us. It would be like today, someone coming along and saying, in order for you to be saved, you have to be Presbyterian or you have to be a Baptist or... You have to become a Catholic or some other religion. In other words, in order to be justified before God, in order to be declared righteous by God, you need Jesus, yes. Jesus is good. You you should believe in Jesus, but you need some effort. Nothing has changed. The church today is still dealing with that problem. Why? Because man still believes He's not completely dead in his sins. Man still believes he's not totally depraved. That he's unable. He believes that in some way he can come to Jesus, that he can choose to believe in and of himself. He can do something in order to be justified. This is the continual temptation in the church. Evangelicalism at large, turning the gospel into the Jesus plus gospel. Jesus plus some kind of deed. Jesus plus some kind of duty. Jesus plus some kind of social cause. Doing something with my life, including and adding to Jesus. But for justification to be justification... For justification to be saving justification, the justification of God, it must only be in the cross of Christ. Why is that people tend to go the way of justification by effort? Know what Paul says, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Why do they want to compel you to be circumcised? Why do they want to compel you to have Jesus plus? Why do they want to compel you in that direction? Because they do not want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. There is the motive stated in simple terms. 
You want the motive for works righteousness? You want the motive for doing things by my own efforts in order to be justified? Because that means I won't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Man tends to seek self-justification because he fears man. It's an avoidance of persecution. When we think of persecution, beloved, let's not think it in terms of persecution coming from the world. That's not what Paul is meaning here. Paul's talking about persecution. He's not talking about the world. What Paul is talking about is what is persecution that comes from the church. Evangelicalism. The church that was those who said they were part of the church in the days of Paul. You don't have to go far into the books of Acts in the beginning of the church to see the persecution that was perpetuated upon the first Christians. Stephen preached one message and was stoned for it. By who? By the so-called church. He wasn't stoned by the world. He wasn't drug out and killed by those who were outside of the synagogue, those who were outside the church. No, it was those inside. It was the churchgoers, the synagogue goers. They drug him out. He was killed by the church. Paul, before he was truly saved, was acting on behalf of the so-called church, dragging Christians out of their homes and putting them in jail. And as the real church, the God-honoring church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the saved church was spreading throughout Asia Minor, Persecution spread with it. And what was it about? What was the persecution? It was about justification by faith alone. It was about the reality that mankind was depraved and could not come to Christ on their own. That it was total depravity, not partial depravity. It was that man was dead in his trespasses and sins. He wasn't just sick. And so the easy way to avoid that persecution is just to become circumcised. Just add Jesus. Just do a righteous deed, Jesus plus. Even a Gentile could, could co-mingle with Jews if they were a circumcised proselyte. If they became like the Jews, the Jews would let them be part of the group. And so when these Jews came to the church in Galatia, they urged the believers to be circumcised. Listen, you need to do this or you're not saved. And their motivation was not salvation for those who they came to. No, it was a fear of persecution for themselves. They want to try to compel you to do this righteous act, to be circumcised, simply so that they won't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They fear man. We face that today. Standing on the doctrine of justification by faith alone in the cross of Christ alone invites all kinds of ridicule. All kinds of people say, oh, that's just not true. Not from the world. Not ridicule from the world. The world doesn't care. The world doesn't care what we believe. The world doesn't want us around only because we keep standing on the truth. But the world doesn't care what that truth is. Now, the persecution about justification in Christ alone comes from inside. I don't know how many times in my Christian life over the years that I've been a Christian where I've been called a legalist simply because I've called for obedience to the things of the Word of God. 
People say, that's legalism. That's not legalism. If that's legalism, then God's a legalist. But it certainly is a requirement for the Christian to do what God says. certainly is a requirement and, and the definition of conversion to have a totally changed life. Oftentimes the conversation comes up when you teach about salvation in Christ alone or challenge somebody about the doctrine of depravity. When you say man is totally depraved when man is not sick in his sin, that it's impossible for man to do anything in and of himself to contribute to his salvation. People challenge that. People within evangelicalism have said to me, if, if I believe what you're saying about the doctrine of depravity, if I believe that all men are depraved and can't come to God in and of themselves, then there's a lot of people I know who, who aren't saved. Maybe so. The fact still remains. Christian living at its best is only found in the cross of Christ to save. That doesn't change the truth. So what motivates people toward works righteousness? The first thing Paul says is fear of man. Fear of man. And he says, number two, to believe in justification by works is to appease a guilty conscience. To believe in justification by works just appeases a guilty conscience. Verse 13, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, not only do they fear man, but they desire to appease the conscience that is racking in their heart with this reality that they don't do what they know they ought to do and what they're telling others to do in order to be saved. And the only way to appease that guilty conscience is to boast in somebody else's life and get the light off you. Notice, they desire to have you circumcised so that, there's the purpose, so that they can boast in your flesh. Why? Because their flesh doesn't have anything to boast about because they're not keeping the law themselves. They're not doing exactly what it is they're telling you to do. So what appeases their own guilty conscience is having other converts in their own belief system. Having other people just like them, that appeases their own conscience. Listen, it doesn't matter what man tries to say about his own conscience. It doesn't matter what man tries to say thinking, well, I'm not guilty in my own conscience. Without his sin forgiven in Christ alone, it doesn't matter what he says about how satisfied he is in his own conscience. The conscience is screaming about its guilt. He can suppress that all he wants and say it's not there, but it is there. Every person knows that when they are doing wrong, they know they're doing wrong. They know they're not doing what they ought to do. Even the most religious of people, the most religious of Jews in Galatia, the Judaizers knew when they failed to keep the law. And so it's their conscience. Their conscience is racking on them. And they can't escape it. And the only way to appease it and the only way to quiet it is to get somebody else in my boat, to get somebody else on my team, to have somebody else doing what I do. So they say to their conscience, it's okay. 
That's the right way to salvation, even though they know it isn't. And their conscience is appeased when they have others join them. After all, we can't all be wrong, can we? There is conscience safety in the crowd. That's the idea. I don't sense my vulnerability in the crowd. And so if I can get others to come along with me, then I have others in the crowd with me. It quiets my own disobedient conscience. If I can get myself and others doing the externals, at least as best as we can, after all, we're only human, then we can boast in who we are. I can say, hey, look it. I hang around with these people. The true salvation is inward, not outward. True salvation produces outward, but it isn't based upon outward. It's based upon the inward. True faith shows itself in outward action, but it's not the outward action that saves. True legalism is saying that righteousness is gained by externals. That's true legalism. True legalism is not having a requirement of obedience. That's called biblical theology. Legalism is thinking that keeping those things saves me. That's legalism. Every legalist is actually lawless themselves. That's why Paul brings it up here. He says that's the height of hypocrisy. They don't even do it themselves. Paul's already said, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Remember that, chapter 3, verse 10? Cursed is everyone who lives like that. And so here he's just highlighting again. Some think that because legalism is wrong, then just get rid of the law. Right? Some think, well, because somebody lives like that, because the law requirement is something that we we shouldn't have to follow for justification, true and right. So if that's the requirement, let's get rid of the law. But that's not what God says. That's not what the law tells us to do. The law is good. The law is righteous. But it cannot save. But God uses it for our sanctification. The law tells us what to do. It shows us what obedience looks like. To do as a Christian. Doing what the Bible says isn't legalism. Doing what the Bible says is simply the process by which we are sanctified in practice because we have faith in Christ. So what motivates people toward works righteousness? What motivates them, first of all, is fear of man. Secondly, they want to appease their guilty conscience. Thirdly, Thirdly, to believe in justification by works is to refuse identity with Christ. It really is to refuse identity with Christ. Notice verse 14, but may it never be. That's a strong adversative. It's a strong contrast. Paul says, may it never be for me that way that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So in other words, to believe in justification by works is to refuse identity with Christ alone. The Judaizers had come to Galatia wanting to boast in their own works. And yet in doing so, they were refusing to identify with Christ. The very thing they said they were identifying with was actually not true of them because they were boasting in their works. Paul says, if you're going to be 
any boasting in the Christian realm, if there's going to be any boasting at all for the Christian, then it can only be in your identity with Christ and what Christ has done for you on the cross. That's the only boasting you can do. If we're going to brag about salvation, if we're going to have an obsession in anything in relation to our salvation, then it needs to be in the cross of Christ. Why? Because focusing on the cross is to focus on Christ. Turning our eyes to the cross is to turn our eyes to Christ, and that means that we live for everything that is Christ, and we live opposite than what everybody else is wanting to do. Popularity, many live for that. I want to be popular, they say. I want to have my followers, whatever that means. Christian living at its best is the opposite of that. We don't live for popularity. Influence, a whole lot living for that. They want influence. They want control. They want to have influence over a lot of people. Appearance, yep, some are living for that. Many are obsessed with their appearance, how they look. Income, yep. Job performance, yep, sure. Lots who go after those things. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's ease. Lack of difficulty. Certainly many people living for those things. That's not what it is to be a Christian. That's not what we're supposed to be filled with. That isn't what we're supposed to boast about. We boast in the cross of Christ. That's what we boast in. Thinking about this, you know, we've made the cross of Christ an article of beauty. Kind of interesting to me because the cross is a symbol of death. Never was something of beauty. It was always a symbol of death in the mind of every person. As Paul wrote, and they read this, when Paul said, I'm going to boast in the cross, they wouldn't have thought, wow, that's a great thing to hang around our neck. That's a great thing to have. The Romans considered the cross degrading. They considered it detestable. They considered it disgraceful. So for Paul to say, my only boast is in the cross of Christ, would have been shocking in many ways. Strange thing to boast about. Many of the day, the cross was something to hide, not something to highlight. Paul says, instead of shrinking away from the cross and all that it means, it means death to self, it means death of life, it was the death symbol for criminals, it was the, the condemnation for those who were deserving of it. Instead of hiding the most degrading thing around that most would have considered a disgrace, Paul said, that's my true boast. That's what I boast in. That's the thing I highlight the most. In other words, that's the thing I talk loudly about about the most. That's central to salvation. In fact, just just go back for a moment. Just notice this. I'm just going to read these to us, but just notice chapter 2, verse 20. Notice what he says. This, this whole idea of the highlighting of the cross of Christ, the boasting in the cross, this was on Paul's mind the whole time. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by 
faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Paul boasting in the cross. Don't look at me. Don't look at my life. Listen, my life is a reflection of the life of the one who's on the cross, Jesus Christ, the one who died. I was crucified with Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, crucified? Paul loves this reality of the crucified Christ. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, he said, we preach Christ crucified. That's what we preach. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was Paul's central boast. That's what Paul highlighted most in his life. This is what I boast about most, the cross. He was always boasting about the cross of Christ. Why? Because Christ crucified meant everything to him. It meant that he was justified before God, not based upon works he had done, but based upon the work that Jesus Christ had done. His justification was complete. Why? Because Christ was never to die again. Christ had paid the price. That meant that his sin was completely forgiven. No sin that he would ever commit, no sin that he had ever committed in the past or ones they would ever commit in the future would go unforgiven in God's eyes. Why? Because Christ died, because he was saved by a crucified Christ. It meant that the Spirit of God was living in him. The Spirit of God had been given, and he could now obey the commands of God as God had commanded him to obey. It meant that all of his efforts were meaningless for salvation. Paul said that in Galatia, or in Philippians. Everything I count but lost means nothing to me other than Christ. It meant like the Apostle Paul said back in chapter 5, it was for freedom Christ set us free. Freedom in Christ had set Paul free. The cross isn't there for something to boast about. It's, some, it's the only thing to boast about. Not just one thing. It is the thing. If we're trying to gain salvation by effort, there's no longer a boasting in the cross. We're boasting in ourselves. The cross is meaningless. The cross means nothing to you. If you're boasting in your effort, the cross means nothing because the cross means death. The cross means death to self, death to self-effort. The only means by which we can actually die to self in obedient practice is to be crucified with Christ. So it's either we are boasting in our effort, religious action, religious activity, whatever it is we do, or we are boasting in the cross. But it cannot be both. It cannot be both. Boasting in the cross means living a crucified life, right? Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Right? I don't want to be like them, Paul says. May it never be like that. I should boast. If I'm going to boast at all, I'm going to boast only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was through that cross where the world died to me and I died to the world. 
For the Christian, there was more than just Christ on the cross. For the Christian, Christ was certainly dying for our sin, paying the penalty that we could never pay, thereby securing our eternal hope. And because of God's electing grace, we are saved with Christ, and we died with Christ. The Bible tells us that we were unified with Christ. So that when Christ died, we died. So when Christ died to the world, we did. So that which dominated us prior to being unified with Christ by saving faith is no longer what dominates us in Christ. What used to rule our life before doesn't rule our life now. As a Christian, we no longer think as we used to think. Our Mind has changed. We are renewing our mind day by day, not being conformed to the ways of the world, Romans 12. We don't speak as we used to speak. Our words are changed. We don't let unwholesome words come out of our mouth, Ephesians 4.29. Our values are new. They're not what they were before. We have different desires, different values. What meant the world to us before has been replaced with the cross. That's what means the world to us now. Remember chapter 5 and verse 24? Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We belong to Christ. We were crucified with Christ. Our sinful nature was crucified with Christ when he died on the cross, and therefore the consequences of that past event is that all that we have held precious in this world is let go. We died to it. We are dead to the world, dead to its temptations, but alive to God in Christ. So Christian living at its best is only found in the cross of Christ alone. But what motivates people toward works righteousness? Fear of man. What motivates them towards work righteousness? The attempt to appease a guilty conscience. What motivates them to a works righteousness? The reality and understanding of a refusal and identity with Jesus Christ. They're refusing that. They may not think they are, but that's the reality. Number four, to believe in justification by works is to refuse a total change of life. It's to refuse a total change of life. Verse 15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The cross was a change agent. Let me say that again. Again, the cross was a change agent. Those who have embraced Christ by faith live a whole new life in the world. We are a new creation. The world where neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything when it comes to salvation. Externals don't mean anything when it comes to producing salvation. External activity or the lack of it produce no righteousness. What matters is what the cross does. The cross changes a life. One once a person comes to the cross by faith, all outward works at gaining righteousness, 
absolutely irrelevant. No matter. They have nothing to do with our salvation. That's what Paul says. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not. That has no relevance on your salvation at all. Listen, Galatian brothers and sisters, the whole reason you come, the whole reason they came to you is, is a moot point. The moot point, they came to you to tell you that you can have Jesus, but you need to add to Jesus. You need to become like us. You need to be a proselyte Jew if you're going to be saved. And what Paul is saying, I'm telling you that none of that matters. It's a moot point. What matters is the cross. doesn't matter if you're circumcised. It doesn't matter if you're not circumcised. What matters is that you have a changed life by means of faith in the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Are you a new creation in Christ, Paul said. Works righteousness doesn't make you new. just gives you new ways of boasting in yourself. What counts when it comes to salvation is internal realities, not external. External says something about your sanctification, but it can't say anything about your justification. And then notice number five. Notice number five. To believe in justification by works is to show that you don't understand salvation at all. You don't understand salvation at all. Notice verse 16. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. To understand salvation is to know that you are in Christ. To understand justification, to understand depravity, to, to have a reality and a right understanding of depravity and the works of sanctification is to know Christ. To know that you are in Christ motivates you to obey Christ. To obey Christ shows that you are in a place of blessing. You walk by that rule. What rule? The rule of Christ Jesus alone. Christ crucified alone. You walk by that rule, you're in a place of blessing. What blessing? Peace and mercy be upon you. Peace and mercy be upon you. Many get confused here in verse 16. Try to talk about the Israel of God as if that's the church. I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about at all. In fact, if he was talking about that, he would have had one group here, and yet he seems to have two. Peace and mercy be upon them, who? Those who keep that rule, and upon the Israel of God. In other words, the Jew who believes. Gentile and Jew. I don't think he's making a spiritual Israel here, a new Israel that replaces the historic Israel with the church. But some will try to say, I don't believe that's what he's saying. He says, listen, those will who walk by this rule. What's the rule? This is the rule. The only rule of salvation, the only true salvation equals the rule. That's what he's talking about. Only those who are in Christ alone have peace with God and the mercy of God is on them. That's what he's saying. The rule for others is externals. In that, there's only more guilt, more effort, no end. Why? Because there's no salvation. 
And with no salvation, there's no peace, no mercy. What motivates people toward work righteousness? Fear of man. Peas of a guilty conscience. Refusal to identify with Christ. Refusal for a total change of life. Shows that they really don't understand salvation at all. And lastly, number six. To believe in justification by works is to fear standing alone. It's to fear standing alone. Verse 17, from now on, Paul says, Let no one cause trouble for me, because I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. Paul's just simply saying to the Galatians, Listen, Christianity brings a lot of pain. Sometimes even physical marks. Paul certainly knew that. And so he's warning them what to expect as a Christian. Listen, Galatians, you boast in the cross, difficulty's going to come. Be prepared. That's different than you may have heard, Galatian believers. In fact, that's different than many here today. Come to Jesus and you'll have a better life. No. In fact, it may get exponentially and experientially worse. Probably will. So Christian living at its best is only in the cross of Christ. Paul says we're justified in Christ alone by means of his death on the cross alone. There is no other way. You preach any other way, it's a different gospel. Nothing to the cross I bring. That's what the song says. Nothing to the cross I bring. Is it any wonder Paul ends in verse 18 with the need for grace? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Oh, do we need grace. We need that. We need grace. And so Paul finishes by just showering them with this exclamation point about what happens when you follow works righteousness. Beginning by wondering where they're at, are you even saved? Who bewitched you? And he ends by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's what you need, grace. Grace. Wow, what a what a letter. What a letter from Paul. Don't ever buy off on a justification by works in any kind of level. Because to do that is to misunderstand depravity, misunderstand sanctification, deny the cross, and not know Christ at all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our study in this book. Thank you for teaching us and loving us like you have. Thank you for the wisdom that we have gained in our life because of what we've heard from you. Thank you that we can proclaim these things and live this way. And we can walk in such a way as we're not duped by those who come along and say this is really what salvation is. But we know the truth. So help us, Lord, to live these things out. Help us to be humble, wise, fearless, even when we must stand alone. 
Help us to focus on the cross, knowing that you have given it all for us and we could die to self because we're unified with you. We pray that you would be honored in it all. In Christ's name, amen.